Um, take your Bibles and turn them to Acts chapter 1. And uh, we are going to be working our way um, uh, through just sort of dropping in on spots in Acts chapter 1 and 2 today. As we have mentioned a couple of times, this is Pentecost Sunday. Um, Pentecost Sunday is the day that we remember the sending of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you are new to Christian things or um, certainly unfamiliar with what we're talking about, uh, I'll, I'll just say this briefly, that we believe that there is one God um, uh, who has revealed himself uh, uh, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each of, those, um, uh, e- each of the persons of the Godhead have a, uh, an absolutely important role in our lives and in this world. And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the role of God the Holy Spirit uh, as he comes into our lives, as he comes into, the, into our world, and as he, as he affects um, the church of God. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about today. Somebody in the office uh, suggested to me that I should um, strap on my head a little candle um, to commemorate um, uh, Pentecost Sunday, but I better judgment, I think, took over, and I decided not to do it, other, other than the fact that they did give me a candle that does turn on, and I won't hold it on my head, but um, you do remember the flames of fire that was evident on the 120 as they gathered in the, uh, in the upper room in prayer that day. But this is a great day for the church. Uh, this is really a day which we would call is the birthday of the church. And many would look back to that first Pentecost Sunday, and uh, they would say that that was the day that the church was born. Uh, we might even go a little bit farther and say that it was a surprise birthday fa- party that the Father threw for the church, because those who were waiting had little understanding of what was going to take place as the Holy Spirit descended upon them. Although we won't, it would be entirely appropriate if we were to sing happy birthday to the church today, because this is the day that we co- commemorate our birth as God's people in that peculiar way. I want to look at four things today, and if you have your Bibles um, open, the first one I want you to look at is just simply to get us a reference point in history, and that's in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, it said, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So that gives us a historical reference point. That begins to give us a clue as what it is that we're talking about when we gather today. The day of Pentecost was a specific day that was celebrated amongst the people of Israel. It began by being called the Feast of Weeks. And it was the second of three big pilgrimages, uh, pilgrimage feasts that uh, Israel celebrated. And all the males over 20 years old, three times a year during these three feasts, were called to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. The first feast was the Passover. Uh, The second feast was this one, the Feast of Weeks. And the third feast was the Feast of Booths. And we know that this is uh, this gathering because when you look at Acts chapter 2 and they talk about how the tongues fell upon them and they spoke in all these different languages, they talked about Parthenons and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In other words, all the Jewish people were obeying God and gathering together in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. The feast was celebrated 50 days uh, or seven weeks after the Passover. And so there is a very specific time frame 
in which it's celebrated. So we always celebrate it 50 days after we celebrate Resurrection Sunday in the church calendar. And Penta means five, and so that's where you get the 50 days from. And essentially, this was a harvest celebration. The initial barley harvest was begun to be pulled in during Passover. And then seven weeks later, they would start taking in the wheat harvest. And so um, Pentecost was also just a harvest celebration. It was a day in which the people of Israel would gather before God and thank Him for, their provi- for His provision for their tables. It's not, it shouldn't escape our notice that when you read at the end of chapter 2, that there was an extraordinary spiritual harvest that took place on this first birthday of the church. For over 3,000 souls, 3,000 individuals were added to the church that day. And so what we understand as we continue now to think about the day of, of the Spirit, or the age of the Spirit, if we want to put it that way, is it is a time of harvest. And as Jesus said to his disciples a little bit earlier, he said, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. He says, do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look to the fields, and they are white for the harvest. And so as we consider Pentecost Sunday, we realize that it is rooted in history. We realize that it has historical significance. But loved ones, it also has spiritual significance because it is a reminder that God is still bringing in an extraordinary harvest that that number more than the sands of the sea into the family of God. The second thing that we understand about the significance of the day is that it tells us something about Jesus Christ. And I think this is something that we need to remember, that before the Spirit was poured out, Jesus said, I must ascend into heaven. He said, the Spirit can't be given until Jesus Christ is exalted to the right hand of the Father, until He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when that happens, then Jesus said, I will send the Spirit. John 14, 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. John 16:5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then John 7:39. Now this he said about the Spirit, with whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Loved ones, one of the, the amazing realities of Pentecost Sunday is it reminds us and it proves to us that Jesus has gone, ascended up into heaven, and is right now at the right hand of the Father. It's an assurance to us that He is there in heaven as He promised He would be and He is now sent from heaven through the Father, the Holy Spirit, whom lives and dwells in us to this day. And so this is a significant day in the church. It's a day that is rooted in history. It's a day that reminds us of a great spiritual harvest that is being gathered. It's a day that reminds us that Jesus is where He said He would be. He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. 
I think the second thing that I think it's helpful for us to understand about Pentecost Sunday is it's a day of incredible promise. It's a day where we remember that God is a God who keeps His Word. That God made a specific promise to us and to the people concerning His Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to them, My Father has something really amazing to give to you, but you need to wait in Jerusalem until He gives it to you. And Pentecost Sunday reminds us that God came through. And so, sandwiched between um, um, uh, all the events that we read in Acts chapter 1 and 2 is the promise of the Father. And the first promise, if you're following, is in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Jesus said to them, he says, While they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Loved ones, that was the promise of the Father, that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would be immersed in the Holy Spirit. But lest we think that it was just a historical reference for that time, we go to the end of Acts chapter 2, and in verse 38 and 39, we read the same promise articulated to a group of people that is now gathered listening to a sermon. In verse 38 of chapter 2, Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then listen, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, loved ones, the promise of the Holy Spirit that God had made was not just for those first disciples. It is for everyone who calls upon the name of the Father. It's a promise that is for, he says, that Peter says, it's for you, for those who are listening to this sermon. It is for your children, for the next generation. It is for those who are far off, generations yet to come. In fact, it is for everyone in the last days who will ever come to, Christ, or to the Father through Christ. We are to receive this gift of the, of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Beloved, this is for you and I. This promise that God has made is for you and it's a promise for me. It's this gift of the Holy Spirit that we would be baptized from on high. God keeps His promises. He sent the Spirit through Jesus on that historical day and He continues to fulfill that promise to His people today. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, we remember that it's a day when God keeps His promises and fulfills His Word to us. The third thing that I think it's important for us to understand is that not only is it a promise, but it's not kind of something that, that God just kind of, oops, some, I, I need to do something now here. It's a promise that is rooted in a prophecy that was made hundreds of years earlier. And the prophecy is from the book of Joel. And as Peter stood up before the people, he doesn't try and defend what has taken place there, Rather, he goes back to a prophecy that's recorded in the prophet Joel, and he says, what you are seeing now is something that God said would happen hundreds of years earlier. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 21, we read this. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, 
God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. And every, even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before that day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This amazing day that we remember, this day of Pentecost, is a day that was not only rooted in history. It's a day that is not only the fulfillment of an amazing promise that God has made to His people and to His church, but it's also the fulfillment of a, prom- of a, of a prophecy. And notice what He says, the words that He says there. In the last days, I will pour out My Spirit. On male and female servants, I will Pour out my spirit. I love that image because it's an image that, that sort of expresses excess. It, it's, it's an image that, that says God gives us more than we need. It's an image that conjures up for me sort of this, this picture in a desert. And some of you may have watched a National Geographic um, um, uh, uh, films or documentaries on deserts in Africa, and they show that sort of time-lapse photography, and the dry season is coming to end, and they will show a period of, of days where all of a sudden you see the clouds building, and they start drifting in over the desert, and all of a sudden they just start pouring out rain on the desert, and then they keep that time-lapse photography, and over the next days and even weeks that all the greenery comes back, and all the flowers come back, and rivers are carved out of the desert where there were no rivers before, because rain has been poured out on on the desert. And that's sometimes how I like to think of the Holy Spirit. That it is poured out onto the parched ground of our hearts. And it brings forth life and, and vegetation and fruit. And not only that, that the, the pouring out of the Spirit is for forthtelling. Because it says that they will see, or they will prophesy, and they will see visions, and they will see dreams. And then he says, I will pour out my spirit on male and female servants, and they will prophesy. They will speak forth the word of God. And as they speak forth the word of God, all those who have been called by God will hear the word of God, and they will come to a knowledge of the Lord and Savior. And sometimes we want to say, well, Paul, I know what you're saying, but that was only for that particular time and that particular place. Well, notice what Joel says. He says, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit. What are the last days, beloved? The last days begin with the first coming of Christ, and they end with the second coming of Christ. And so this is not a one-time historical event. Yes, it was an answer to a specific promise that Jesus sent His Spirit as the, pro- as the Father had promised. But that sending of the Spirit continues to be poured out generation after generation on all who come to faith in Christ. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. Beloved, we need to have a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God. We need to have the Spirit poured out among us again as a church, as individuals, as a community, where God just says, here you go, and and life is poured into us. But then what is the relevance of this day for us then? 
It is something that is rooted in history, and it does have a, a spiritual reality of harvest. It is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to us, and He continues to make for our generation and for all to the ends of the earth. It's something that God has promised through prophecy would be something for everyone in the last days. So what relevance is there to you and I today? Well, we jump back to verse 8 then of Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Beloved, as far as I know, that has not yet been fulfilled. As far as I know, there are still people who live at the ends of the earth who have not heard the gospel. And so men and women need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and go out and take the gospel to those who have never heard. I've been reading a book uh, this last number of weeks, and it's a fascinating book. Uh, it's called Reckless, um, I think it's called Reckless Abandon. And it's the story of a, a man, he's maybe about five years older than me, but when he was 19 years old, God, in a miraculous way, saved him from a, a life of, of drugs and just, just rebellion. And God put on his heart an amazing call to go to the peoples of Papua New Guinea who have never, ever heard of the gospel yet. And it's the story of account after account of how he and his small group of, of missionaries that that heard the same call to go to people who were cannibals, to go to people who were headhunters, to go to people who still, in our day, have not heard the good news of the gospel. And as they went into village after village, village that have never seen white people, village of people that have never heard the gospel, he talks about how the Holy Spirit came upon them with power and how they did miracles in those communities such that are spoken of in the book of Kings and in the Gospels and how that with, as, they, as they, the Holy Spirit came on them with power and they spoke the word of God, how, how hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, this passage still has relevance to us today. I need to be clothed with power from on high. I need to be filled afresh with the Spirit so that I can go out and declare the mighty works of God and speak of the wondrous salvation that He provides for us in Jesus Christ. If you were to take the time and read through Acts chapter 1 and 2, you would find a number of references to what's going on here. And I've just sort of summarized them and we'll go through them with you. I, I think there's a, there's a beauty in the breadth and the way that God describes the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And uh, while these words, we might tempted to be think they're synonymous, I think while they, there's a lot of overlap in them, there is specific meaning to each of them, but it talks about the fullness of the Spirit. It talks about the filling of the Spirit. Here are a few of the words that are used to describe what's going on as the Spirit is poured out amongst us. He says in one place, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to have a couple baptisms tonight. What is that? We take a person and we immerse them in water. We completely cover them with water. 
And so when I think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think of the Holy Spirit completely enveloping me. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be covered, immersed in His power and His glory and His might. Another phrase that's used, that Jesus says, to wait and you will be clothed with power from on high. Do we think of that image? We all got up today. Every one of us is dressed. We put on clothes. We, we, we draped our arms. We draped our torsos. We, we draped our legs. We've got socks on our feet, most of us. And, and, and what, what's going on is we're dressed. Well, when the Holy Spirit clothes us, again, He covers us. He protects us. He, he's all over us. He goes on and He says, You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I love that phrase as well because that kind of speaks of something in, internal. And it's kind of like we, we pray before God, fill me. And as our mouths are open and our arms are raised, it's like he, he pours the Holy Spirit into us. And it starts with our toes and it works up to our knees and goes to our hips and through our chest and into our, our head and fills our hearts and our minds. And we are filled from top to bottom, from bottom to top with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. I've already talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. Excess. Life-giving pouring out on us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gracious work of God whereby He gives to us the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit in us. Loved ones, this is not my language. This is the language of the Bible. This is the language of Acts 1 and 2. This is the gift of the Spirit. Why are we not waiting for Him? Why are we not praying for Him? Why are we not calling out, fill us afresh, pour out yourself amongst us in a new way? It's kind of like the visa commercial. Don't leave home without it. Loved ones, when you get up in the morning, don't leave home without Him. Be clothed in Him. Be filled with His power. Receive the gift that God has for you. The promise of God and the prophecy of Joel tell us that this gift is for all who come to faith in Christ. And I know there's differences of opinion of whether this is historical or whether this is ongoing or whether this is salvation or whether this is something post-salvation. I just take my cues from the Scripture. And I may be simple that way, but I look at the life of Jesus as, for me, an illustration of this. Of this. We're not speaking of regeneration here. We're not speaking of renewal. We are speaking of something beyond that. And I look to the life of Jesus and I say, what can I learn from his life? Well, well, we, we read what happens as Jesus comes to be baptized. Do you remember what it says when Jesus was baptized? The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Like a dove, a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That doesn't mean Jesus wasn't the Son of God before that. There's this extraordinary, though, outpouring or, or descending upon Christ that was now anointing Him and equipping Him to serve God. We remember how after that happened, it says the Holy Spirit led Him out into the wilderness. And for 40 days He was in the wilderness and He was tempted. And then it says at the end of that that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit from Galilee. Wait, and you will be clothed with power. We read in another place that as 
He commenced his public ministry full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10.37, it says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Loved ones, is that not the power that we need? The power of the Holy Spirit so that we might go out and do good. That we might go out and pray for people and they will be healed. That we might go out and pray for people who are oppressed by the devil and they will be relieved from that oppression. Loved ones, the effectiveness of Jesus' ministry, his miracles and his healings flowed not from himself, but from the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. The ministry is due to the Spirit's work in him. And it flowed from his anointing. Every dimension of his ministry depended upon the anointing of the Spirit. Jesus truly was the bearer of the Spirit. The man marked out by the Spirit. A man uniquely strengthened by the Spirit. And then Jesus says to his disciples, already followers of his, already those who have expressed faith in him, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Some of you know that that word in the Greek is dunamos. The word from which eventually we got the word dynamite from. The explosive power of God working in our lives. It doesn't mean you just take a stick of dynamite and you chuck it everywhere and blow things up. I don't know a lot about how people do that, but I do know that guys who know what they're doing can drill holes specifically and can blow up just the right amount of earth or just the right amount of rock to clear what they need to do. It's controlled power. It's the Spirit of God working in us to bring forth the kingdom of God. Loved one, this is what we need. Should not our prayer be, Father, clothe me afresh with power from on high. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. And not only is it for power, he says in verse 8, that you will also be my witnesses in all the world. Do you remember what Jesus, when, when he was just starting his ministry, he gathered in the synagogue and he, the scroll of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where, where, where it is written. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Loved one, that is what happens as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We have power to proclaim liberty. We have power to proclaim freedom. We have power to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who are dying and are, are going to spend an eternity separated from God unless they come to a saving knowledge through Jesus Christ. People are filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak forth the Word of God. Elizabeth and Zechariah. Here at Pentecost, 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues proclaiming the mighty works of God. When the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin and questioned about their activities, Peter, it says there, defended their actions and was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a game. He had been filled at Pentecost and now weeks later or months later, he was filled again. And as the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit came into his life, he proclaimed 
the mighty works of God and the fact that this man was healed in the name of Jesus. And we see that repeated again and again. After the disciples were threatened about teaching and preaching, they all gathered together and prayed. And, and after prayer, this is what it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to spread the word of God with boldness. Loved ones, that's what I want. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for each of you. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that as we go out from here, we go out not in our power, not in our strength, but in the power of God. And that we go out not with weak words and not with trembling words, but that we go out with boldness. Proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ and declaring the mighty works of God to anyone who will listen to us. Loved ones, this promise is still for us today. This prophecy is still for us today. What were you thinking as you sang, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me? Is it just a song that we sing? I was praying, Holy Spirit, fill me with fresh power. Fill me again with the ability to go out and boldly to use a Star Trek phrase, go where no man has gone before. We can't do that in our own strength, beloved. But we can do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, should we not pray, O Father, send your Spirit upon me, fill me afresh, that I might come to declare your mighty deeds to all whose path I cross this week. Fill me with renewed confidence to be your witness. Power and the ability to witness. I have, I have a significant heritage in missions going back into the 1800s in both Africa and China and Tibet. A few weeks back, I was reading a book that has been written by my second cousin who is still in missions, and he, he's, the, um, uh, he's the head of the Assemblies of God down in the States, and he's a man that's been used powerfully by God and is still used by God around the world. There's a story that he recorded in the book that I'm reading, and I thought I'd share it with you in closing today. He says, I'll never forget my experience with Pastor Meng in northwest China. When I first saw him in 1988, he was 80 years old. He had preached with my dad long ago. In fact, he had preached the last Sunday we were at church in our town of Xining in China in 1949. In the intervening years between 1949 and 1988, he'd been in prison nine years, and on probation for 16 years. The church was closed for 28 years, and when he restarted the church in 1983, he was 75. My first meeting took place with him on Thursday morning. Pastor Mung and I sat on folding chairs on the concrete floor of the sanctuary, and I asked, how many people did you have on that first Sunday? I had 30, he replied, and my heart sank. Mostly old believers, I asked, yes, Mostly from my parents' ministry, yes, many. And I thought, wow, there used to be 500 believers in this town, and it's down to 30. From 1949 to 1983, 500 down to 30. How many believers do you have now, I asked, as the church had been open for five years? He responded with a question. Would you like to see our baptismal roster? They've got a roster, a roster, I wondered. 
the church must have baptized two or three old people right before they died. So I figured as old as Pastor Mung was, ten members had probably died since he took over, and the church was now likely down to twenty. Pastor Mung and his wife lived in a small room just off the platform in the sanctuary. At my question, his little wife came out of their room carrying a book that consisted of a front and back cardboard cover and a white parchment paper stuck in between, held together with yarn and tied off with a bow. Pastor Mung took the roster from his wife and handed it to me. Bear in mind that in China, it is illegal to baptize anyone under 18 years of age, and Pastor Mung was required to turn over the name and address of everyone he baptized to the local religious affairs bureau. Baptismal candidates were subject to harassment and marginalization. These believers even made it tough on themselves. They had to go through instruction before being baptized, meet with the elders, and bring a witness who could testify to the change in their lives since becoming a Christian. And finally, they had to pass a written exam. How would that go over in the United States? Of course, he's American. Pastor Mung's book featured five columns, including name, gender, age, address, and occupation of each baptismal candidate. The first page was filled with 18 or 20 names. I thought, they've done great. I turned the second page, and it was filled with names. Third page, filled with names. Page after page, filled with names. Chills began to run up and down my spine, and I thought, I'm holding the Lamb's Book of Life for Zing Ming. Pastor Mung, I finally asked, how many believers do you have in this church? We have 1,500 adult baptized believers. My mouth dropped open. How did this happen? I wondered out loud, and Pastor Mung looked at me and I, as, as though I'd asked a stupid American question. I'll never forget Pastor Mung's answer. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray a lot. He went on to describe how the Lord had worked in that town. A Communist Party's official's wife had been sent home from hospital dying of cancer. Doctors had given up on her, but the official secretly called Pastor Mung to pray for his wife. God healed the woman. Pastor Mung also talked about their 5.30 a.m. prayer meetings. We pray for half an hour every morning before the people go to work. And we pray this every day. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in zinging. What would happen if every church in Oceanside prayed every day? Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our community. Move in our church. Move in me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, clothe me with power on high. Spirit of the living God, grant me a supple tongue so that I might speak forth the mighty deeds of God to all who would hear. May we increasingly, as individuals and a congregation, pray for and expect the gift of the Father so that we might be clothed with explosive power from on high and that we might go forth into this community and abroad with the good news of the gospel to share with anyone who will hear.